characteristically describes a time of great apostasy before the end times. And so that that's, their, their optimism is a little at odds with a lot of what the scripture um, presents. Uh, we also talked about their, the fact that in order to be um, many uh, post-millennialists hold to a, uh, a, a preterist understanding of uh, the uh, Antichrist and the Tribulation, saying, gee, that all took place uh, before 70 AD when Nero was the emperor, Nero was the Antichrist. And we talked about, well, gosh, if he was the Antichrist, it's kind of hard to say that him committing suicide from being run out by the Praetorian Guard is consistent with him being destroyed by the splendor of Christ's coming. So um, there's, there's, some, there's some disconnect there. Um, briefly, just wanted to mention the issue about uh, this, this lack of scriptural reference to a golden age preceding Christ's return. Post-millennials would hold to the idea that the millennium is really this golden age of worldwide Christianity and where Christian, uh, Christian beliefs, Christian behavior, faith in Jesus is the norm. Um, and that's, there's not a lot of script. There isn't any scriptural evidence to suggest that the entire world or the vast majority of, of the world is going to be converted bef but before the return of Christ. And, uh, I don't have any scriptural references there for you because uh, that's the point. <laughs> there, there aren't any, okay? Um, there, there certainly is uh, reference to a, a time of peace and prosperity under God's rule, but mostly the, 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 the uh, uh, presentation is one of him ruling and reigning on the earth. Um, so it uh, doesn't really support uh, that. Um, and then um, the last two things that we just wanted to discuss. Um, first of all, um, in order to um, interpret post-millennialism uh, as the, the correct presentation of uh, the scriptures in, in uh, Revelation chapter 20, um, you have to have uh, definitely a figurative understanding of uh, what the what the thousand years is because it's just they say well it's a long time. Um, I don't think that that is really anything that um, would be op opposed. I mean, I think obviously I think most amillennials would believe that this is a figurative thousand years a long time and um, I don't think it's absolutely incumbent on us as premillennials to say well a thousand years that means it starts on day one lasts for uh, 999 years and 365 days and then then it's over and then then and then the end comes um, but but definitely that it's that it's a long time um, but they also, they, they have some other figurative understanding in that passage in Revelation 20, um, uh, verses 1 to 6. And the first one that I'd like to talk about is this, this idea of the binding of Satan. Um, remember we talked about, they say, well, 
Satan is bound because he's no longer able to have the absolute authority over the nations, the Gentile nations that he had prior to really prior to Christ coming and in fact prior to uh, the Corn the conversion of Cornelius, right? This was a this was a Jewish only phenomenon. The Lord said, I have come for the servants of Israel to the woman uh, who asked him to heal the Syrophoenician woman who asked him to heal her daughter. And and she says, Hey, even the scraps from the master's table, the dogs can eat that. You know, how about some scraps? Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I think that's a good point. There's the discussion that Christ has um, with his disciples about um, when he's accused of um, casting out demons by the power of Satan. And he has the, um, he has the analogy that when a strong man, when you're going to um, enter into a strong man's house, you've got to bind the strong man. They say, you know, Christ has entered into Satan's domain. He's bound the strong man. Okay? Um, so that people people have a little bit of a, a issue. Uh, they say, gosh, um, you know, Satan's bound. It's true, you know, he's not bound tight and unable to act. But, you know, his, his, uh, his actions are restrained. Um, and... You know, in a sense, that, that's true, and that's always been true. If you look at the book of Job, uh, we get a scene in uh, the behind-the-curtain look, okay? And Satan wants to torment um, Job, but there's this wall of, of protection around him, and God allows him to wreak havoc on the things around Job and eventually on Job and his health as well, everything up to but not including his life. Um, and so it's true to say that, you know, the devil's the devil, but he is God's devil. Um, he can't do anything that's outside the will of God. He opposes God, but only to the extent that God allows, and that has been true since the day he fell from heaven. Um, that has always been true. He's always been Satan's, uh, he's always been God's Satan, or he's been mankind's Satan, mankind's accuser, but he's God's devil. Um, he does work that he intends for evil, but God turns it to good just like we all do. Um, but this idea of him being bound in Revelation chapter 20. Can somebody read for me just those first six verses of Revelation 20? I want you to think about what it's saying about Satan and his binding. First six verses? Yeah. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. You know, that's good enough, I think. So, we've got a chain, a bottomless pit, and a seal. I mean, he's not, it's not, Satan is bound with this 
He's bound with, it's not Satan is bound like he's tied with ropes. He's, he's bound with a chain in a pit and it's sealed. Um, how much more can you say to say that his ability to do what he's always been doing has been curtailed? I mean, how much more could he possibly have said um, than to say that this, this is a dramatic uh, imposition on Satan's freedom to act? And yet, um, if we read in the, in the New Testament, we have evidence that Satan remains active. Of course, we have the evidence of our own experience, right? Um, is there any doubt that Satan is alive and well and active? I mean, you think about, think about um, the, the fact that our nation puts to death, what is it, 50,000 infants a year? And has been doing for, for you know, for uh, two generations. Um, so you think about all the people who believe that they're following the one true God, but that he does not beget and that he is not begotten and that there is no plurality in the deity. Um, how many people believe that lie and go to war for it? Uh, this is this is this is very serious <laughs> deceit of the nations. Can somebody grab for me Second Corinthians uh, chapter four verse four? And then uh, after actually, um, Dave, you you're, you just had your eyes on it, so you could grab uh, uh, verses seven to twelve of uh, Revelation twelve. <coughs> who who can get Second Corinthians for me? I know four, you guys. What? Oh, Peg's got. Yes. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Okay. So somebody's eyes are blinded. And when was Paul writing this? Was he writing it in the Old Testament? First century. This is the first century. Jesus had died. Jesus had been risen when Paul started preaching. This was all, this, these were all things that had happened. So he's talking about this age. People are being blinded by Satan's activity, and he is still the <coughs> God of this world. He has power. And who had uh, Revelation 12, 7 to 12? <coughs> yeah, now, so. war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth, and angels and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of the brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Okay. So, here we've got Satan has been cast down from 
heaven, and now he's more active on the earth because he knows that his time is short. Um, and the idea that he's been cast into a pit and is inactive is sort of at odds with that presentation, don't you? Don't you think? Um, I'm not going to go heavily into the Old Testament passages that imply a millennial kingdom, but if you remember, it'll talk about it, it'll talk about well, no longer will uh, and uh, a young man not expect to live to be a hundred years old. Um, there's a time anticipated when suffering and war and unrighteousness are dramatically curtailed, but. They don't say there's going to be no death. Okay? In the end, the final enemy that's conquered is death. There will eventually be no death. But there's this period that's looked forward to when much of the suffering has been curtailed and yet death still exists and continues um, in, in this uh, golden period that we're looking forward to and it's not... Uh, it's not not synonymous with the end times. What the what a post millennial would say is, hey, those times when they're beating their swords into plowshares, um, and and will make war no more, and you know righteousness <coughs> reigning on the earth, um, and the settling disputes between nations. I mean, how come? You know, do you really think that in the in the end times, um, when when in the new heavens and the new earth? When everybody has a heart for God, everybody has a new heart. It, are there are war, are are there going to be disputes between nations? I don't I don't think they're going to happen. Um, if we were all of one mind, that's that's the problem we've had in this uh, in this world, right? Is uh, if if we're not all of God's mind, then we're all of different minds, and that's the the origin of this conflict. Um, finally, and I, um, I'm gonna, I'm trying to leave Aaron at the end, so I can introduce amillennialism to you. It'll be gone in a second, guys. I'm sorry. Um, in order to um, understand things from a post-millennial perspective, you have to have this idea that the first resurrection that they talked about in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 is a spiritual resurrection. So, the new birth. But then, really just two verses later, he's talking about, um, that he doesn't talk about the second resurrection, but he talks about, um, at the end of the thousand years, the rest uh, of, uh, of humanity will be raised. Um, or, and there's a contrast. That, nobody doubts that that is a physical resurrection. So you've got this, and they use the same word. It's within two sentences. They use physical resurrection and then spiritual resurrection without signaling any sort of change. It's not a, it's not a contrast. It's not a, a play on words. You're just switching the domain of the word without any sort of uh, uh, an indication that you're doing that, and that really doesn't make sense. I, you know, it makes sense to do it as a play on words, but then you make it really obvious that you're that you're making a play on words, and it's probably not a play on words. The other uses of this word resurrection 
in Revelation, there's two of them. Okay, the first one is when uh, in the beginning of Revelation, when Jesus is introducing himself, and he says he's the one who died and has has risen. And then uh, the other that's clearly a physical resurrection. That wasn't Jesus's new birth. Um, and then the other one is the Antichrist. Uh, when he's describing the Antichrist, he had what appeared to be a lethal head wound, and he rose. Um, the Antichrist did not experience the new birth, guys. I gotta tell you, I guarantee that he did not. This is a physical resurrection that we're talking about. So in every other case, the author of Revelation, John, is talking about a physical resurrection when he uses that word and this would be the only time that he uses spiritual that he uses that term to refer to the new birth um now it's not it's not that that's never used in the scripture i mean you know um paul says we've been raised with christ um and you know he's talking about the spiritual reality where we're here on earth but we're also seated with him in the in the heavenly realms that's true but it's just, it doesn't fit in this. You're, you're basically taking something out of context. You're taking a meaning that you wanted to have, and you're plugging it in and applying it out of context. Um, and so that's a problem. Dave, you look like you got a question. Well, sure. Yeah, no, yeah. You, may have just, statement. you may have just answered it, but how, do you have any sense of how an amillennialist or a postmillennialist in this case would account for that, that, the, that it, it looks it looks to stay consistent it would be physical resurrection well what they would do is they would point to the the places in the scripture outside of revelation where resurrection uh where the new birth is referred to as a as a resurrection um as a coming to life uh from death uh and i mean that's that's true that's uh there that that imagery is present it is clearly um, a contrast like death to life, um, the new birth is is a is a phenomenon, very much like that. But it's just that in this context, he's not using that way. And and they a post millennial, this is not a post millennial proof text, right? Uh, this this is a, this is something they argue against. They go to other passages. They look to the Old Testament. They look to other passages in the Gospels and in the in the in the letters to talk about the millennial kingdom. They wouldn't um, they wouldn't talk about um, this uh, this they wouldn't use this passage to support their doctrine. They argue against this passage. So are they I think in context deleted? they could look at the the martyrs reigning with Christ as well and see that as a spiritual reign rather than. Say physical reign in the premillennial system. So that's another contextual piece for them that they can interpret that way. So. And I think that's pretty much what I wanted to talk about um, about issues with postmillennialism. But once again, you know, just just a reminder: be grateful for our brothers that are postmillennial. Um, they um, embrace a very active role in promulgating God's word. They, they take very seriously um, the Great Commission and our, our requirements for it. And they say, you know, guys, the reason the world is not more Christian is because you, we have been negligent 
and fulfilling our responsibilities to the Great Commission. And that, that is something we need to hear uh, because we have been. Um, we are. I mean, you know, we're, I mean, maybe, except for the blisters, maybe, you know, I'd say that most of us can have to say, hey, how much have I done this week or this month or this year to fulfill the Great Commission? How, how vigorous have I been in spreading the good news to people that are dying? Um, and, uh, you know, so God bless them for that and for their optimism for the success of the gospel. I think the gospel has a lot more success to look forward to. There are a lot of people that are not yet reached. There are a lot of people that are only uh, formally reached or they've been presented this as an idea, but it hasn't made, had a chance to make its way into their hearts. And um, so, you know, God bless them for that. God bless them for the fact that they're faithful to the scriptures. These are not liberals okay um post-millennial evangelicals are not looking for the evolution of society into this perfect golden age they're looking for a work of god a work of the holy spirit to transform the world the world by the power of the word being preached out of your mouth so you know um remember they are brothers they do share uh, our expectation they believe that Christ is coming physically to reign on the earth um, they just understand his coming to be at a different time than we understand it. that's what I've got for you today and I think Aaron has a few words to talk to us today about all millennialism I've left him a vigorous what 15 minutes or something 10 <laughs>